0: weeks ago, if uh, we wanted to go down and vacation with some friends. We only go on vacation if we're looching on other people for free. Um, so, uh, if there's any offers we're, we're, available. Uh, and I go, well, yeah, but you're preaching us that weekend. She goes, no, you're gonna come home early and preach for me. And so, um, you guys are stuck with me. But thank you for that concern and asking about her. I'll let her know that, that she was missed. I do have some, uh, other exciting news. I'm going to put him on the spot and ask him to come up here. Matthew Straw. You should give this guy a round of applause, even though you don't know why. This is, my this is Matthew Straw. We're going to a fuller blowout announcement of this next week. But Matthew Straw just accepted a role to be our student minister here at Kairos Church. So... Yes. So, really excited about uh, Matthew. Matthew and I have known each other for about six-ish years now, and, and uh, we've done ministry together before, so I'm truly excited about Matthew. Uh, again, we're going to kind of do a more formal, full interview next week, but there's somebody who's here with you. Introduce that pretty lady in the back. That's my wife, Julie, uh, back there. She'll be, we've been married for eight years. I do see that. You're good, you're good. been married for eight years, nine now, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It goes fast. And we have a three year old daughter, Foster Grace, who's back with the other kids. Uh, and we're really excited to be here, be a part of the community. We we, undercover came a couple, uh, like a month ago, two mm-hmm. months ago. Came and checked it out. We really love the church and the community that you have here. And so we're excited to be here. So, people here are excited about the know You can see the reception, and uh, they're going to want to take you out. To a meal. Yeah. So let's say it's lunch and they're going to pay. Yeah. Right? you are going to pay. Uh, where would you be excited for them to take you? We we're going to get to know his family. I think they're, they're going to be able to join us on Friday at the family fun night. But another round of applause. So excited. Big extra prayer. And, uh, yeah. and then it got me thinking with bringing Matthew along, our, our student ministry right now is, is the majority of those kids are middle school students. And for me, it was middle school where I was first introduced to church, church life, a like youth group, and uh, a guy named Ricky Page, who was my youth leader. And uh, my middle school, my, I should say my church, uh, was uh, on the way home uh, when I leave middle school to walk home. And so, gosh, three or four days a week walking home, me and my buddy Troy would stop by the church and uh, say hi to Ricky. And then Ricky, this is what youth ministry guys do, right? They want to spend time with the kids. He started organizing his day in such a way that he would uh, do his errand running in the afternoon around 2.30, 3 o'clock. So we would jump in, and, and I wish I had a picture, I should Ricky drove an old school Yugo. Can anybody picture that? Put that, you know, old school boxy car. And, uh, and, and, and Troy and I, we were, we were dumb middle schoolers. I don't even know if you just need to say dumb before you say middle schoolers, we all understand, Dumb especially for boys. And so we'd be messing around, whatever, and the yugo was a stick shift, right? And so every time we did something uh, dumb that Ricky DeTerno was done, which was rather quickly, uh, rather often, excuse me, he would turn the yugo stick, meaning like start s- spinning it off. And eventually the whole the whole knob of y- yugo stick would come off in like a, a, a handle with this dense foam, and then he'd pull over the car, and start beating us with it. And uh, that was great ministry back in the day. Matthew, you're not allowed to do that anymore. That, that would be called abuse. But back then, it was awesome. But Ricky, not only did he introduce me to the Hugo stick, he also introduced me to the scriptures and, and, and modeled and gave me an excitement for reading the scripture that then when I got into my high school years, I, I started taking it seriously. And then really, Ricky became, uh, Ricky's still doing ministry in San Diego and and it uh, really was my first picture and model for uh, uh, possibly pursuing ministry in my own life. And so that was 38 years ago, and so I'm grateful for him. And so I say that because I'm a little bit nostalgic thinking about my own journey, knowing that uh, Matthew is here and he will be in some form and fashion, that type of example uh, for our kids. And so uh, grateful to have you here, Matthew and Julie. Well, uh, big thing happened yesterday. Anybody know in the sporting world, big thing will happened? Yeah, the first sub-two-hour marathon was run by this gentleman, and I'm going to butcher his name, but I'll try anyhow. Elud Kipchoge. Let's go with that. He ran the first sub-two-hour marathon, and mark my words. Somebody else is going to do it very soon after, right? Because they show that uh, once somebody breaks that emotional threshold, it's an emotional threshold, mental threshold, beyond what, even a physical threshold. Now, he has shown that it is possible. But obviously, Elu did not listen to this philosophical advice from one of my favorite philosophers, Homer, who said, Don't try, Bart. Don't you know that trying is the first step towards failure? And uh, we're getting ready to get into a passage of scripture here uh, that uh, Bart gives us kind of a a sneak peek into. You can bring that up for me, Ryan. Homer says that the end is near. And that is consistent with this passage of Scripture that we are getting ready to read. Uh, thinking about the Christian life, often the, the, the writers of Scripture liken the Christian life to uh, a marathon, this kind of endurance sport, not a quick sprint, uh, flash in the pan, but a sense of like the, the significant endurance it's going to take a lifetime uh, to master. And what I love about this book of 1 Peter, we've been studying this book for uh, the last several weeks, four or five weeks, is that uh, Peter does a great job describing, kind of uh, in a prescriptive way, here are some of the things, if you're going to follow Jesus today and in the future, here are some things for you to be aware of. And And so I want to read this passage and come back and we're just going to simply move through the passage. I, I would describe this more kind of like, it's going to be more of a, a devotional than it is a, a sermon. Have some images to kind of maybe bring some uh, fun uh, to, to the passage. So, here we go. The end is near. The the end is near, says Homer. Uh, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, just quickly and and briefly, a a little context. Let's be uh, careful not to rush into reading our own circumstances into this passage, though, that is appropriate. But I think first let's understand the context uh, with which this was written. These early Christians who who were receiving this letter from the Apostle Peter, uh, they believed that Jesus would be returning soon, as in, so soon as in their lifetime. So they're reading this thinking, okay, uh, there is a sense of urgency with which they're receiving these words, preparing themselves for Jesus' return. Well, here we are, 2,000 years later, and as followers of Jesus, we are still waiting for Christ's return. And so it it offers us the question like, well, hey, is there really power in these words? Do we still put our hope in these words and instruction? Do they have power for uh, for us today? And what I want to say is I think so. It was not uncommon if we look. To the Old Testament, lots of prophecies uh, that did not come to uh, pass or to fruition for hundreds, thousands of years later. And so uh, we don't know the time or the hour scripture says, but there is this idea uh, that we should continue to place our hope in Christ and his return. Because we do not know when he will return, but we can surmise that our time on earth is that we have a limited number of years to live, even if we live to a, a nice old age? In Psalm 90, Moses prays this. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we only have so much time here on earth. Let's seek God's wisdom for how we are to live out those years. So from that perspective that Moses gives us, let's work through this passage in 1 Peter, uh, these four deeply rich verses. Uh, So I think there's like four or five things just to pull straight out of Scripture, uh, this kind of prescriptive way of living. And to think right now to your own context of life, uh, if you're facing a challenge, some level or season of discouragement, something that's going on. Uh, that might be causing you to uh, fear or be stressed or full of anxiety, um, think through your relationships. This is definitely a relationship passage. How do you relate to other people? How do we relate to those who we would consider an enemy or uh, an adversary? And so in light of that, uh, the first thought is this, from verse 7. Be alert, thoughtful, and pray. Be alert, thoughtful, and pray. And each of these points is going to have an image that has uh, some type of connectivity to it. Be alert, thoughtful, and pray. Uh, as, you, as many of you know, that uh, one of the things that I really enjoy doing when I'm outside uh, my church context is being out uh, coaching these 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, uh, coaching and playing baseball. It uh, brings a lot of enjoyment to my life. And so I've noticed that, uh, from the transition from when they were six, seven, eight, even nine years old, that now as ten-year-olds, uh, the coaching is getting a little bit more intense. What we expect out of these kids, uh, where we're raising the bar of expectation. One of the things that I'm telling them is that it is your responsibility to grow as a ball player, and here's some of the things that you can do to grow. Take your development seriously you can be mentally strong, so that when you strike out, you don't blame the umpire and throw your bat uh, in the bat rack, right? No, you're mentally strong. Uh, the other thing that you can do is you can be alert and know the situation. You know, like if there's uh, a runner on first, you gotta get the guy out at second base if you can. You beat, you're aware of the situation. Another thing we talk about, especially with 10, 11-year-old, 12-year-old boys is um, they can be hard on each other. And so we talk about being encouraging to one another. We say that when we encourage one another, it's like pouring courage into your teammate. And so that means when they're up to back, you're up there cheering for them. If they make a mistake, you're, you're patting them on the back and saying, hey, that's okay. Don't worry about it. So be alert. Be thoughtful. Give your best effort and live with the results. And it's fun to watch them go out there and do well and make mistakes and and, and try to, to figure it out. But I also think that this translates well for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, but the added element, an element that I don't use with, uh, with the kids I'm coaching baseball, is that, uh, that we also have access and we're instructed to pray. Now, as I think about some of these kids, man, they should be praying. They're not very good. Um, but for followers of Jesus not only are we to be alert and thoughtful on how we are to live, but we also have the additional resource of prayer uh, that we can engage the people around us and we're going to run up to some obstacles, we're going to face some challenges. And when we get to that point, our kind of ace in the hole is that we can go to the Lord in prayer. And one of the things that often happens to us doesn't necessarily mean that everything is resolved, but we in Our relationship to the Lord, in our opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer, we have someone to carry that with us. So the first thought in Scripture is be alert, thoughtful, and pray. The second thought is this emphasize love because love always trumps what is bad. Emphasize love because love always trumps. What is bad? Scripture uses the language. It always trumps sin. In Scripture, not just this passage, but all throughout Scripture, love is always the great trump card. It is always uh, the place where we are led first. If there is ever a doubt in any circumstance that you are facing in a person or the people, Scripture tells us to choose love first. Love does love wins, love trunks, all that is bad. I want you to right now think of a fractured relationship you are currently dealing with. A relationship that just has some tension, some dysfunction, some hurt, and pain. Think of that, that person who that comes to mind. Maybe it's multiple people. Maybe it's, it's a one side of a family or a co or whoever that is. But I just, I want you to um, kind of draw upon that relationship and those relationships. And as you know, as you've been interacting with with this person, this family, member, friend, co-worker, whoever it may be, you're aware of the tension and maybe the attempts of of being a thoughtful, healthy person. And, And what I want to suggest to you, and maybe you have tried this, and so maybe this is just a reaffirmation that in that relationship, engaging that relationship in a spirit of love. And what does that look like? What I would say is we go back to the first point that you would be alert and thoughtful and pray and ask God, what does it look like to be loving, to put love first in this relationship that is bringing me heartache, stress, dysfunction, and pain? And so I would say this, I don't know what turns out from that, but focus on love and see what God does. It's kind of like what I tell my kids. Give your best effort and live with the results. Put love first and trust that God will do something with that. And so we are alert, thoughtful, and pray. We are aware and try to believe to emphasize love because it trumps over all that is bad. Third thought in this passage is that we are to show hospitality. Ellipsis. I love that word. Without complaining, you see, Miriam and I we enjoy having people over to our house. Um, we kind of say that like our joint kind of shared spiritual gift is the the gift of hospitality. However, Miriam does a better job of showing hospitality without complaining. Often it is. Uh, Miriam, who notifies me that so-and-so, whatever family is coming over, and uh, I have a hard time not thinking about like the endless list of chores that need to be done, and cutting the grass, and doing whatever it needs to be done. Now, when people finally come over, I enjoy their company, and I enjoy being hospitable to them. But oftentimes, I do so kind of with this spirit of complaining, like, I got to give all my time to such and such. Well, hospitality, which I also think is one of the gifts of our church, when people look at our church, uh, oftentimes I've heard, especially from guests who who have come a couple times, and I've asked them about what it is that is attracted them to our church, and they they often say it's just such a hospitable place to be, and I think that's a, a great encouragement to this community because hospitality isn't isn't incredible expression of God's love. And I think it is from that perspective that the original uh, recipients of Peter's letter, letter, that these were followers of Jesus who were experiencing persecution for following Jesus. And they were looking for answers uh, and trying to figure out how they were going to navigate their lives and their faith under the extreme circumstances they were dealing with. And you got to that when they would gather, they would talk about things socially. Talk about so and so who was uh, uh, treated poorly, or maybe uh, violence was visited upon them, or someone who was arrested. And so they're trying to figure out, hey, we want to take our faith seriously, but it's hard. And here is part of Peter's words for them: show hospitality and do so without complaining about your circumstances. Peter's answer is to love those who have done you wrong, those who have caused you pain. Invite them into your lives and show them hospitality an expression of God's love. This may, not always, but this may have the impact softening their hearts and pointing them to Jesus. So the difficult people in our lives when we are in tough places show them authentic hospitality. Do so without complaining. So we are to be alert, thoughtful. And we are to pray. We are to emphasize love because love trumps all that is bad. We are to show hospitality and do so without complaining. And fourth is this. Peter says we are to use our gifts to serve the needs of others. In other words, how are we going to navigate this life? And Peter says, use your gifts to serve the needs of others. When we embrace Jesus as the Lord and leader of our lives, uh, the scriptures tell us that we receive God's spirit. Inside of us, and as an expression of the Spirit of God within us, we receive spiritual gifts these special, special type of gifting uh, that then God invites us to use in the world. And for a specific list of those gifts, you can jot down the reference of First Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12. And so, I'd encourage you to take a look at those passages. Maybe you've gone like Hey, I I hear people talking about spiritual gifts, but I don't necessarily know what mine are. Well, they're there in the scriptures, and you can can type up on the google.com spiritual gift tests, and uh, there'll be a little brief test five, ten minutes later, answer a couple questions, and it will reveal to you, based upon your input what your, your gifts are. Well, these are gifts given to us so that we can find ways to serve and care for the needs of others. That Our spiritual gifts are not primarily for our own benefit, but they are for the benefit of others. And when we serve others with our gifts, this becomes a living expression and model of God's love for the world. So if we want people to know God's love, we simply live into our gifts, we express them, and the scripture says that then that models and points people to the love of God. If you have the gift of administration and you find ways to administer and do different things that help in whatever way to live into that gift. And I would say that the, mo- the more you can focus your life into expressing your gifts, I-, I think that also is the place that you will find your, mo- your, your deepest fulfillment in life. And so I would suggest identifying your spiritual gifts. And as an experiment, uh, you should experiment with them and see how these gifts impact the lives of other people. Be alert, thoughtful, and prayer. Emphasize love because love trumps over all that is bad. Show hosp- hospitality do so without complaining. Use your gifts to serve the needs of others. And lastly, Serve with the strength that God has provided you, not your own strength. I remember being on a mission trip when I was in high school, I think I was 17 years old, and we were pouring this concrete slab uh, that would become the base, uh, the slab of a classroom that was going to be built at at this orphanage. Uh, And we were mixing this concrete by hand. big pile of sand and rock and water and the concrete uh, mix, and we would uh, mix the ingredients and uh, it was really like legitimately back like, backbreaking work, especially for those of us kids who never had to do that type of work before. Uh, but I was a concrete mixing machine. I was. Wouldn't take breaks. Wouldn't drink water. Was the first one to start, last one to end. And I'd like to say that I was doing so because I just was just really in love with Jesus but I wasn't. I was really in love with Angie. And Angie was a super Christian. And I thought I had to show her that I too was a super Christian, even though I really wasn't. Um, And so I would do all this and work really hard. And it was really about, I mean, I I didn't know that it was for a greater reason. But the whole time, I was very aware of where Angie was and if she was paying attention to how hard for Jesus, and uh, and the story ends with me sitting next to Angie on a 10-hour ride in the church band in the back seat, back home, and everything was going really well, had Angie's attention, and then I did this really cool move, bend over to spit my gun out the window, didn't make the window did make Angie's hair, and her response was to grab it real quick. Well, needless to say, Angie read somebody else I haven't talked to her since, and I've completely lost my place on my notes. Anyhow, uh, but when we can move beyond serving and doing things for our own recognition, and we hit that sweet spot, when we really kind of empty ourselves and just go, "Lord, I want to use my gifts. I want to serve. And I don't want it to be about me. I really want it to be about that person in this moment that I'm caring for. And ultimately, Lord, to point people to you. That's when we are in our sweet spot. When we serve others, we are reminded that we do so with the strength that God provides us, which also says that we don't have to be responsible for the outcomes, we don't need to be heroes. The point is not that we are recognized and lifted up in a place of honor, but rather we let God be the one who is lifted up and others are lifted up so that people will know the love of Christ and experience the love and grace that God desires to offer his people. So in summary, be alert, thoughtful, and pray. Show hospitality and do so without complaining. Use your gifts to serve others And when you do serve, serve with the strength God provides. And so I would just ask for this passage and we can ask this together. So what is the ultimate point that Peter is trying to make? And I think the very end of the passage is what answers it. We do all this so that God will be praised and glorified. And just the sense that when we picture somebody in a in, a, in, in this posture of worship, if you see in the picture behind you, we go like that is move, pointing people's affection towards God. And that is the point that we are to worship God, show Him honor and respect and glory and praise. But there's another level that I think we often overlook when we think about God being praised, and it is this, that when we live in this way that Peter has prescribed for us, here's what Peter says, is one of, the, one of the outcomes, it is this, that people will ultimately give their lives to Jesus. And our model of this list plays a significant part in that process. And so I don't think that there is any greater point in life or any greater purpose in life than this, that we are to, to the best of our ability, Point people to Jesus so that they can be exposed and experience his love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so that then others can join with us so that with us they too can give their praise. And that they can glorify God in heaven forever. And that is what Peter is inviting us to do. Would you join me in prayer? We'll continue to sing some more worship. Father, we thank you for um, Peter and his instructions. We see this list he gives us in chapter one and chapter four, and then also closes in chapter five. Just like, hey guys, this is how you should attempt to live. So Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. I right now am appreciative of Ricky Page and beyond the fun that we have, just the example he was for me. Encouraging me to for the first time we read, read the scriptures. Lord, we're grateful to have Matthew, Julie, and Foster here to participate in this family of faith. And so Lord, we pray that they would be affirmed and encouraged as they are here uh, to live out their gifting. And so we thank you for Matthew. Lord, for anyone who is here who has a fractured relationship, something that's causing a pain point in their lives, Lord, would they visit? these few words in, in 1 Peter 4 and maybe choose to, to try to live out some of these things and then trust that you would be the one to carry the weight of that and that they would tr- trust the results to you. Lord, we do give you glory, and honor, and worship Lord, would our words of praise uh, be pleasant to you. We pray this all